Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Duel Assessment, your podcast for Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Links. I'm Deck Tech, and I'm going to be your solo host today. So, uh, apologies for any issues that causes. I'm on a new little setup because normally Green Ranger is kind of um, the front man on that aspect of it. So, hopefully, it all works out. Uh, he can't be joining us today because he's in the process <clears throat> of a big move. Uh, but if that's not done by next week, then I'm pretty sure he has to pay for another month's of rent or something. So, uh, he'll be back soon. Um, he's also here in spirit, of course, because he helped me out with the show notes, as he always does. And, um, he's going to help us out with the posting and everything that we do to get it up into your various podcast catcher places. So, uh, if you're hearing this, then... Thank you to him <laughs> for making that happen. And if not, then that's unfortunate because I'm planning to talk for like an hour and uh, it'd be a bummer if none of that counts for anything. Um, so like I kind of just alluded to, we've got a lot going on um, this week. First, I guess I'll tell you a little bit about what I'm doing because that's what we normally do. So um, I made the big decision after talking about it last week a little bit to skip buying electric overload, uh, at least for now. If we get some sort of big gem infusion or a very generous uh, Patreon you know, supporter who wants to see us do some work with some of the cards in the uh, electric overload, then uh, of course we would, uh, I would reconsider that and, and get into it. But for now, um, it, it kind of seemed like it wasn't worth it for me. <clears throat> so instead, I've been spending my gems buying through Flame Tyrant, which is the set that has Sergeant Electro and Venus, and uh, somewhat relevantly now, uh, Warm Worm, I think it's called, the Mill card. So I have purchased through that a once-through, and I am... I don't know, about 20 packs in the second time. So the plan was that if I had to buy the entire set through, just all the way through twice, it would be 160 packs um, because I'd already pretty much bought it through the first time and got all the good stuff. And um, that's still less than an entire purchase through once of Electric Overload. So I figured if I'm unlucky, um, I have to kind of get unlucky twice for Flame Tyrant to even be close to what could happen if I'm unlucky once with Electric Overload. And also that the the Monarchs, which is really the one card that I really would love to play with in Electric Overload, um, the, the Monarchs, you kind of want two or probably even three of them for your deck. So um, as I mentioned before, that's like 500 packs probably safely to say you're going to buy, and that is just entirely too much, um, even at the one whatever I'm at for, um, the Flame Tyrant, it's getting a little bit rough, so that was kind of my thinking there. Uh, the Stupid Venus, of course, came in pack 78 out of 80, so, uh, the plan was to save, uh, gems, and unfortunately, so far that's not going amazingly, but I did get my third Sergeant Electro now, and my second Venus, and I'm just waiting for that third Venus, and then I'll be done. <clears throat> um, I haven't played a ton of PvP 
because of a few reasons. One of them was that once I hit platinum, I just kind of started goofing around a little bit because I didn't feel like playing just a ton of red eyes the entire month. And, um, and you can't derank. So I figured I would just mess around. I played some Ishizu, uh, Mausoleum Fairy deck and, uh, I brought back three star demotion, which, uh, was one of my favorite decks that I think was wrongfully uh, cut down. Um, I don't think the nerf was necessary, but now you have the Aegis of Gaia and it is 3,000 life, so it kind of plays the same role as what uh, Supremacy Berry used to play, except it's a trap, so it's a little bit slower, and it is susceptible to getting removed and you just losing because of that. But there's not a ton of uh, back row removal anymore, so the meta's kind of shifted away from that a little bit. I think that's because Red Eyes um, doesn't need the... um, the back row to stay set usually. There are things like insights where you can just activate it in response, and so it's not as strong against the top deck, and that kind of makes it less prevalent. Uh, also, of course, Harpies is no longer here, and that one was both a deck that had a ton of back row removal and a deck that required you to have a ton of back row removal to clear the Harpies Hunting Ground and or to clear their tricks. So... Uh, anyway, that went okay, but then once I hit plat 2 again, it was like, alright, well now I can lose ranks, so I wanted to switch to something a little bit more solid, I guess, and, uh, that's when the plan came to finally pull the trigger and start buying the Flame Tyrant, but that, um, that, as I was just telling you, hasn't gone amazingly, I still don't have the Venus. So I played a little bit of my control, aggro control deck um, using the Sergeant Electros because he's really good for controlling the back row and he's got a decent body. And that went okay. I played that for a little bit. And then I also just kind of played a few games with Red Eyes because, you know, I need to get some wins in. I'm really behind schedule I I only have I think 18 wins now and that was after I like realized how bad I was yesterday and I played a bunch of games um and it's just kind of need to catch up I I really doubt that I'm going to get to 100 this month because I'm so far behind and because my other baby uh Hearthstone just had an expansion release so uh, it keeps pulling me in to play some with the new cards there so anyway we'll see they now that they've made the rewards a little bit nicer. Uh, You get one at 30 and one at 60, uh, super rare tickets, that is. And so I'm thinking maybe my goal for this month will be 60 instead of 100, even though it would be nice to get all three tickets uh, from the 100. Um, I'm not really really poised to do so at this point. I I haven't put in the work, so that was my bad. Moving on to the news, um, the biggest news, of course, was that the 2017 World Championships uh, just ended, um, and so we record Sunday morning, and the event took place in Japan, and it the second day was their Sunday, which ended, I don't know, while I was sleeping or something like that. So, anyway, 
the Duel Links World Champs were part of the greater like Yu-Gi-Oh World Champs event. Instead of having its own separate event, they just did all of their games um, at the same time, including a couple games that I didn't actually recognize like the names of or anything. So that was interesting. Uh, the downside of it was that there was not very much uh, Duel Links coverage like at all. I guess they decided that it didn't make for the uh, best viewer experience. And we'll talk a little bit about why that might have actually been a good call. And um, But it was kind of a bummer for players like myself and maybe you, listener, who are more into Duel Links than the other Yu-Gi-Oh! games. I haven't played uh, physical Yu-Gi-Oh! in a long time, so I have no idea what's going on in that game. And um, the other games I just hadn't even heard of, so... It's a little bit of a bummer that we only got a few games worth of World Champs coverage, but uh, I did catch the ones that were streamed, and I've got a little bit of of some highlights for you. Uh, First of all, the event was, like, entirely in Japanese, which was a little bit interesting. Um, Obviously, the company's Japanese, and it took place in Japan, so it makes sense, Um, but it did seem like a really big disadvantage to the players who don't speak or read Japanese. Um, obviously, these players are top players who have played a ton, so you they probably know most or all of the cards, but still it's nice to have little reminders every once in a while, or um, even just to know like what activation's happening and stuff. It, it seems odd um, that they didn't let the players play in their native language. Um... Another thing that was a little bit odd about it was that the players were using official, like, Konami accounts that had access to every card, uh, but they were still required to only use cards that the players had in their own collections. And this was kind of a big point um, because of Red Eye's Insight, which, of course, was part of the Super Joey event, and not everyone was able to get copies. So... Uh, the commentators were put in this weird situation, and of course the players were as well, but uh, we're talking about how the best deck in the format, a lot of people think it's Red Eyes, but not all the players brought it here because some players weren't allowed to farm it, or weren't successful in farming uh, the key cards for it. And um, that's it, it puts a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth as a viewer, and if I'm trying to watch like this competitive game... Um, at the top level, these are this is the world championships, and they're talking about how certain players couldn't get like the best cards, and I totally understand why they don't want every card or every player to have every card, and if you're going to like a little local tournament, that makes sense. But this is supposed to be like the marquee event of the year for the game, and it kind of makes the game seem less serious that. There are, um, you know, these players can't play at the highest level because they were unlucky. And um, I think that might be part of the reason why the game uh, doesn't seem like the best esports experience, because it seems less serious in that sense. Uh, There's also some gameplay reasons that that we're going to get to in a sec as well. Uh, Speaking of the commentators, they weren't amazing. Um... It seemed like one guy was mostly just asking the other guy about various cards and rules and and stuff in the game. And I don't know if that was, like, an intentional 
move to make it more accessible for people who weren't Duel Links players. Um, you know, him standing in the place of someone who didn't know what was going on. Uh, which, of course, is like a common narrative theme like they do in video games and stuff where your main character has amnesia, so he has to ask everyone what's going on in the world. But really all that is doing is explaining to the player how this new world works, even though the character himself should know what's going on in the world. You know, that type of thing. I don't know if that was the case here, or if maybe that guy was just a color commentator, and he didn't really know anything about any of the games, which would be weird, because why would they pick him? Or maybe he um, was more experienced with the various other games that were there, and they were just using the same casting duo for a couple games, and um, he, you know, shined more in the other ones. But uh, another problem, of course, was that they the, ca- the commentators didn't speak or read Japanese, as far as I could tell. Uh, obviously, I was watching the English commentary. And so they had some trouble with some of the cards, just like I did, and how I would assume some of the players did. So it was like... Well, what does that card do again? Uh, I don't know. Let's look it up real quick. And, again, totally understandable because I don't read Japanese either. I'd be in in the exact same situation. You can't have every single card memorized. Um, Although, you know, maybe if it's your job to commentate on the highest level play, maybe you should have all the cards in their decks memorized at least. Uh, They had the uh, players' decks, deck lists and stuff. So they knew what was coming, and they could have maybe prepared a little better for it. Um, and then the final critique was that some of the, sometimes they would kind of forget which cards were set and, um, and when they were set. And I know I've watched a lot of streams. I've heard a lot of people talking about streaming because I'm kind of uh, pretty interested in the esports community, especially uh, the Hearthstone esports community. And so I know that commentating is harder than it looks. And I know that the whole point of it is to make it look easy and natural. So uh, the really good ones make it look even easier than, you know, they, they don't show how difficult it is. But still, it's a pretty basic aspect of commentating that you need to kind of keep track of the game state. Um, and in Yu-Gi-Oh!, because you have, like, trap cards and quick plays, it is very important to know when there are things set down and uh, what turn they were played sometimes. Like, if you just set something, then you can't activate it on your attack, and if the commentator's saying that you should have activated it, then that doesn't make sense. So, um, you know, there there are little issues there that I hope will be cleared up next time. Um, that's not endemic to the game so much as just something that I hope that they can work on. So, with those uh, initial impressions out of the way... Um, kind of to the meat of it. The most interesting thing to me was that there's this new official format that was um, used during this tournament. What they did is they split the players into two blocks, and they had round-robin play on uh, day one within the block, and then the top two players from each block would move on to day two, which was just a bracket format um, single, I I mean, I guess it's not really elimination, but the bracket format to uh, decide who takes it. So the, in terms of the actual games, they were match 
games, so it was best two out of three. And uh, they adopted like a new dynamic format that seems kind of modeled after what Hearthstone's doing instead of uh, the traditional Yu-Gi-Oh! format that people might be interested in, or uh, might be, well, I mean, I guess you'd be interested in either one, uh, but I meant uh, that people would be used to. The uh, original Yu-Gi-Oh! TCG format is you bring one deck and one side deck with a set number of cards, and you play a best two out of three, but you're playing with the same deck, and you can sub in cards between games two, and if there's a third one, game three, uh, from your sideboard. This is uh, the same format that Magic the Gathering has been using for a long time. It's kind of uh, tried and tested format. The Hearthstone format is uh, tends to be based around players, instead of having a sideboard, bringing multiple characters uh, or heroes or legendary duelists. <laughs> um, and so for this event, they did they took after that Hearthstone model more. What they required is that the players bring three different a legendary duelist using three different skills and then you have to win two out of three with two different decks. Um, I expect that now that they've kind of set this as the official world champs format that uh, player you know the casual tournaments, reddit tournaments, whatever will <clears throat> more mimic that but there were some weaknesses in the format I would say that we'll, we'll maybe see some tweaks on it either next year officially or, um, you know, in the, the iterations that people do on their own. One of the weaknesses is that two uh, Duel Links games can go super fast. And uh, so it is hard for production to, like, plan out a Duel Links uh, match show on on streaming it because you don't know if this match is going to last like five minutes or 30 minutes um, because you have three long games or something like that and so a couple times during the matches once uh, in particular there was like there were two quick games and then the casters were just kind of awkwardly sitting there discussing life and dual links and whatever while production i guess decided what they were going to do next because they had allocated probably significantly more time for those games and then were kind of cut short by just the nature of dual links it's a it's a mobile game using the speed duel format the entire point of dual links is that it's much quicker than regular Yu-Gi-Oh, and uh, that has done very well Obviously, it works great in the mobile marketplace, but maybe it's not the best for production. So I was thinking it would make more sense if instead of two out of three, they went further down that Hearthstone hole and they made it best three out of five or even five out of seven. We have, I think, 15 Legendary Duelists at this point, and there's probably going to be more by this time next year. So um, it might cause some people to complain, you know, make the classic co-money complaints if you have to build, like, seven decks because now I have all these cards that I need to get. Um, but I think it would make for better production, and it would make um, it would make matches seem less anticlimactic. Um, and we'll get to that a little bit more as well. But uh, giving it a little bit more depth, I think, would be useful. 
and a lot of cards have overlap. Um, there was no rule against playing the same deck using two different skills, for instance. So a lot of people, or at least a couple people, brought multiple Red Eyes decks because you can play Red Eyes with Restart, you can play Red Eyes with um, Beatdown, you can play Red Eyes with Counter, or nope, Balance, uh, with Balance and using the Counters. So um, there were a lot of options. And, um, oh, and another point, of course, is that multiple characters can learn um, the same skill, so you can kind of trick your opponent. You can't use the same skill on two characters. Maybe that's the limit as to how many um, decks you, you can have people bring is based on how many skills are kind of viable, but that also introduces the interesting element that uh, some skills are kind of tier 2 or tier 3 skills, and maybe if you force players to get into the tier 2 skills, then you're going to see some decks that you wouldn't normally see. So, anyway, that's one critique uh, that I'd like to see a little bit more than just the best 2 out of 3 format going forward. Uh, getting into what the players actually brought, there were... I've seen some posts on Reddit and stuff, which I'm going to link in the show notes, that... Um, purport to have deck lists, but I haven't seen any official list of deck lists, um, and so I can't be 100% sure that that's what they are. And some of these lists also came out after I had started compiling these show notes, so I going with what I think that the people brought. We know what characters they brought, and so um, if we were able to catch their games on stream then we could see what the deck was. Or uh, on replays, The all of day two, by the way, um, has all those replays are up in the game client itself, which is pretty cool. You can click on the uh, the page, uh, which is the Kaiba Cup Dragon thing um, on any screen, and it, it will take you. You can see the day two has a lot more information than day one did. Um, probably because there's far fewer games, so they just decided to give us a replay for every single game. So you can see match scores there, you can see which characters they brought, and you can see the replays for day two. Uh, you can see the characters and the match scores for day one, uh, but no replays, and neither day uh, gives you the deck lists and skills and stuff as far as I saw. So, in block one, we have Decade, uh, the, of course, the America's Champion that we all know. Uh, he brought... Kaiba Restart Tunes, Mako Balance Control, and Taya Mill. Uh, we know that he brought those ones because he was actually on stream, and so we've seen him play. Um, Koizumi, and I didn't mark down where most of these people were from, um, so apologies to them and their countries if that upsets anyone. Uh, Koizumi brought Ko uh, Kaiba, Paradox Brothers, and Mai. Um, but he did not play on stream and did not make it to day two. So I don't know for sure what he brought. I would assume it is beat down, restart, and uh, either balance or Harpy's Hunting Ground. I saw at least one player bring Harpy's Hunting Ground. It might have actually been him, uh, but I don't think I caught any of his games. Um, the next one was a Japanese player who had a name in all... Um, Japanese characters in the in-game client, and also was designated E2 in the uh, in-game client, but on the stream, um, 
he, his name was listed as Samsung something. And, um, so I'm going to call him Samsung because that, I know that better than Japanese characters and that seems more legit than just E2. Um, he brought Red Eyes Beatdown, Red Eyes Restart, and uh, Mind Scan uh, Control. And we know that, of course, because he was on stream. So that's what I was talking about, how you can bring the same deck um, with two different uh, characters and two different skills. The Beatdown and Restart versions of Red Eyes are not terribly different. Uh, they can be, of course, but they don't have to be. Whereas the balance version has to be built a certain way that can be a little bit different than the other two. So um, he mostly brought the same deck twice, presumably because he, like a lot of people, thought that it was the best deck, and so you want to maximize your chances to win with it. The next player was uh, BOA Fan YZ. Don't know how you would pronounce that. But anyway, he brought Mai, Kaiba, and Teya. And again, uh, the Mai might have been Restart or Harpy's Hunting Ground. Uh, the Kaiba was almost certainly Beatdown. Um, that's, that skill's very popular these days. And uh, Teya was also probably Mill. Um, to get into it a little bit more, the Beatdown skill is very popular because it is uh, specific to Kaiba. No one else can learn it. And it gives you uh, three, four, four options um, of top decks to play with. That So even though you're giving away the information that you're probably running Beatdown because you're running Kaiba, uh, you're not giving away the information as to which deck you brought. Uh, those four decks that I'm thinking of are uh, Red Eyes, Zombies. Um, I, I mean, I guess you could also do the other Red Eyes, just the normal one, but Red Eyes, um, Naturia, Ninjas, and Phoenix. Uh, all of those were played in this tournament. All of them used the beatdown skill. The last person in block A was Timmy, who is not Creative Timmy. As you guys will recall, Creative Timmy was um, uninvited from this event after it was determined that he had been using some sort of uh, something against the terms of the game. There was he, this Timmy, brought Kaiba. Pegasus and Taya, and I have written here guesses as to what he brought, but I don't actually have to guess because I know he made it through. Um, but my guesses were Beatdown, Mind Scan, and Mill, and we will see if that's accurate. I actually I think the Mind Scan is not. I think the Mind Scan was actually a um, restart tunes. So I'm going to update my notes on that. I wrote the notes on uh, day one before we had seen um, many replays. And we had only... Uh, the stream, like I was talking about, there was very limited streams. We only watched two matches on stream. Uh, they did seem to know, or or I guess maybe we know, um, the names that people would kind of recognize. The names that I recognize, at least, um, because they streamed a Tut-Pup match, and they streamed a Decayed match. And I don't know if that was just lucky, or if um, they have some other stats to show that these are the most popular players, not just the ones that uh, we recognize on the show, but also that are more popular in the community. Anyway, Block B, a player named Fresh brought Bakura, 
Weevil and Rex, which is, uh, in my opinion, the most unique lineup. No one else brought Weevil, and no one else brought Rex. I think one other player brought Bakura, um, and he doesn't have Kaiba. So there's uh, some weird stuff going on here. He, uh, again, it's a little hard to guess what he might have been running. I'm thinking probably Balance, Parasite Infestation, and maybe Titan Showdown. He was just running like a weird counter meta lineup. But um, unfortunately, he didn't make it to day two, so we don't get to see his replays. Uh, maybe his lists or some other replays and stuff are in the links that I'm providing below. The uh, As I said before, those links were kind of unofficial. They were curated through Reddit and Game A, but um, they seem to be legit. I'm just going with what I know to be uh, legit, the things that were given out through the official sources. The next player was DGZO, who uh, we saw some of his stuff because he was uh, on one of the streams. He brought Kaiba Naturia beatdown. He brought Bandit Keith Sacred Phoenix restart, and he brought a water Mako deck. Tutpup brought uh, Kaiba Ninjas, My Tunes using restart, and Taya Mill. And another player whose name I can't read because it's in characters um, brought Keith, Mako, and Kaiba. Again, we don't exactly know what they were, but maybe restart, balance, and beatdown, or restart the, whatever the water one's called and beatdown. Um, and finally, Silent Loft, maybe, <laughs> um, brought Kaiba, Merrick, and Bakura, which we have learned because he made it to day two was uh, beatdown zombie red eyes, counterbalance red eyes, and fiend farewell necrofear, which is kind of interesting. So, uh, getting into the results a little bit. Block A, uh, unfortunately, decayed in that streamed game, um, did not win. He ended up going 1-3 and three on the day, so he did not advance into day two. Uh, Samsung and Timmy were the ones who advanced out of group A onto day two. Uh, Timmy actually only went 2-2 two and two in the round robin, as did two other players in the group, or in the block but I'm assuming he had a better game score or, you know, some way to do tiebreakers that made him go on. Meanwhile, in block B, Silent Loft swept. He went 4-0. He's the only person who went 4-0 during the round robin phase. Um, and Tutpup, who we've talked about on the show before, he ended up getting second place and advancing with a 3-1 record. Uh... There were a few notable games and stuff, the ones that they streamed for us, at least on day one. Uh, the first one was that Tutpup um, showed some really good plays versus DGZO. Uh, these streams, of course, are accessible through the Twitch page, the official page, and also the official Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, YouTube page. You can watch the replays there. Or not replays, but, you know, the VODs. Um, so... The Tut Pup game, you saw him piloting ninjas against Water Mako, and he played it very slowly and carefully and just methodologically picked apart the Mako deck and just made in, made sure that he could win instead of maybe rushing into it and uh, hurting himself there. So it was interesting, excuse me, interesting to see someone uh, kind of slow it down, 
when, as we just talked about, this game is kind of designed to be played very quickly. Uh, there was also a controversial play in the Decade streamed match against Samsung. Uh, Samsung was playing a control deck, and Decade was playing Toons. Um, Decade had a Curse of Anubis down and two summon skull, uh, Toon Summon Skulls up. One of them had already attacked, so uh, Samsung was on the... Um, he had lethal on board. Samsung had two heavy knights out, one with its effect activated, and he played a Sergeant Electro. He then activated it to hit the Curse of Anubis. Um, DK chose not to activate the Curse of Anubis, and then Samsung attacked with the Heavy Knight's uh, flames. One of them, uh, the you know the one with the effect, cleared away DK's monster right away. And then the other one, um, he attacked in, and he played Super Rush Headlong and Metal Morph to clear the uh, the second one. Um, the caster said mentioned that there's actually currently a bug in the game that Konami has not yet patched in which if a tune is killed twice during the combat phase, then it can only be saved once with the Magical Kingdom. And um, they noted that, I guess, these competitors were aware of that bug. I didn't remember that it existed, but I hadn't played a ton of tunes, so it never came up to me. Um, DK looked a little bit surprised when it happened, but he has since like kind of stated some comments that cleared up uh, that he was more reacting to the uh, Metamorph being set and um, being the second out, I guess, to kill it. And there was this heated debate on Reddit as to whether it was a misplay on DK's part. Um, some people were thinking he should have activated the Curse of Anubis in response. But uh, he kind of, he commented on Reddit, and it's um, it's always nice to see, like, look into a top player's uh, brain and kind of go through their thought process. And so that was pretty cool. Um, not so cool that he probably felt like he had to defend himself, and um, he probably feels pretty bad about the way that it went down, that he didn't make it to day two. But um, he explained the plays, and it makes sense. One of the Heavy Knights was still a normal monster, and the other was already in defense position because it had been Kuribo the turn before. So, if Decade had used the Curse of Anubis, it would have only flipped and locked down the Sergeant Electro. It also would have um, flipped his uh, two Toon Summon Skulls into defense mode. That meant that the one Heavy Knight could have then been flipped uh, back to attack mode, because it had not yet been, um, it, Curse of Anubis only locks them down if it flips them. So since he was already in defense mode, he could move it to attack. And then the other one would not have been affected because it was still a normal monster. Because it hadn't been second summoned. Then, since it has 1800 attack, and the Toon Summon Skulls would have had zero defense and been in defense mode, it would have had already had one kill on the stack, I guess you could call it. And then, all that he would have needed was um, a Super Rush Headlong, and he would have gotten the second kill. The And that would have triggered the bug that, um, you know, lets DK not save it. The way that DK did do it required um, 
him to have the Super Rush Headlong and the Metal Morph, or some other way to second time kill the Toon Summon Skull, besides just the uh, Super Rush Headlong. So by playing it the way he did, uh, DK played, uh, maximized his outs. You know, he required his opponent to have more than just Super Rush Headlong. If the opponent had Super Rush Headlong, um, then he would have won. Like, if the opponent had only had Super Rush Headlong, he would have won the uh, the way that the rest of us kind of thought that DK should have played it. But this way, it required him to have two. The uh, What is beyond debate is that if there had not been that bug that required you to double, or that allowed it to kill the Toon Monsters, then um, DK would have won that match, because he had lethal on board and for the attack the next turn. So it's unfortunate that that bug kind of lost him that match, um, but he did know going into it that that bug existed. So I don't know, there's that. Uh, the other unfortunate part was from the streamed match, DK queued up his tunes again in the second game, and uh, this time he was playing against Red Eyes, uh, the beatdown Red Eye zombie. And he got most of the hand that he wanted, except he did not draw a magical reflector, and Samsung drew Storm in his opening hand. So that game was essentially lost um, just from the opening hands. And DK went a swift 0-2, and uh, that was part of the round-robin play that made it to him not uh, moving on to day two. Um, it, like I mentioned before, moving to day two, there's a ton of information in the, um, in the game client. There's lots of replays of games, and um, I think... It'd be really cool if someone could grab all of those replays and kind of like organize them in a way that makes sense and then do appropriate commentary over like that whole thing so that we could get a a polished and um, easy to access recap of the whole thing. But um, I've not yet seen that. I don't know if Konami will do it um, technically. They would be the ones who would have to do it, but... I don't know. It'd be really cool if a fan did it. Hopefully Konami wouldn't be jerks about that. Um, on day two, the first place seed from each block faced the second place seed. So it was Samsung versus Tutpuck, Tutpup and uh, Silent Loft versus uh, Timmy. The first game, well, I don't know if it was first or second, but Tutpup uh, took the first match versus Samsung's um, first he lost to Samsung's Mind Scan, but then he went, uh, he won the next two versus Samsung's, uh, Beatdown Red Eyes. Uh, he beat it twice. So first with Mill and then with Ninjas. Which, by the way, the Ninjas deck, uh, Tupac did very well with it. It seems like it is doing pretty well in the tournament, like, as a whole. So that's interesting to see because I almost never see it on the ladder. So it's nice that it got some play. The uh, second seed, Timmy, <clears throat> was also able to upset Silent Loft uh, with a quick 2-0. First, he used Mill to easily beat a uh, balanced Red Eyes deck in the favored matchup. And then he used Beatdown Ninjas to beat um, Zombies Red Eye, which 
bricked so hard that I watching the replay I couldn't even figure out what deck it was. I had to go back and watch other replays to um to find out what the deck was. Uh he only played one he set one spell the entire game and uh as ninjas can do, they bounced it to his uh to the back to the top of his deck. So uh he conceded on like turn five or something like that. Timmy was then on a roll because he quickly swept Tuppup in the grand finals uh, with tunes and then beat down ninjas against Tuppup's own tunes deck. Um, unfortunately, they did not make for great games because uh, Tuppup's tunes deck would just not cooperate and he bricked in both of the games. So I think that was kind of the uh, aspect of the game that makes for a bad viewer experience in that you have these two really quick games and it's just so anticlimactic when one player essentially does nothing and the other one wins within like I don't know the first three turns and um, it it doesn't feel like a grand finals that way so I think if they had added a few more games to the match make it a three out of five or something there was at least a chance that uh, Tuppup could get his stuff to work the way it was supposed to and Maybe it would have had a little bit more spectacle to it. Um, if you do want to catch a interesting game, I would say go into the day two and check out Silent Loft's uh, Game 3 versus Samsung, uh, who's actually, sorry, in the client, he's referred to by the Japanese characters and um, the E2 designation. So if you check him out there, it was um, Kaiba versus Kaiba, but one of them was running um, Beatdown, or sorry, one of them was running the Phoenix, and the other one was running the Red-Eyed Zombies. And it was just a really good back-and-forth match, the type of thing that would have made for a uh, really good, like, you know, match to commentate on, and uh, unfortunate that, that they weren't able to get it on stream. Um, so, just to recap really quickly, the final results were Timmy taking first place, uh, Tut Pup, in second, and Samsung third, and Silent Loft in fourth. Huge congrats to Timmy and Tuppup and everyone else who was able to uh, participate. That's really cool, and uh, you know, good work, everyone. I've got a couple links here to the Reddit and Game A compilations of results, playbacks, decklists, etc. Uh, like I said, I'm not sure if they can confirm that any of this was what it says it is, but uh, it looks pretty good, so you can check those out if you're curious. You can also, uh, just stated one more time, uh, check out all those replays about day two um, within the client, and you can check out the the characters that the people brought, um, all the players brought on day one. So it'd be interesting to see a little bit more information on that, especially from official sources, so that you feel a little bit better about it. Um, the, we talked about last week, the special Reddit tournament was going to happen yesterday, um, but as of the time of recording, I have not yet seen any sort of tournament report or anything, um, that's okay though, because we already talked like half an hour about tournaments, so, <laughs> um, in other news, we have revamped our website a little bit, um, not really anything in terms of content uh, changes just yet, but we did uh, redo it to improve readability a little bit. Um, this was after 
I made a comment to someone on Reddit. Um, they were asking for a deck list to farm Elegant Mai, and I uh, pointed them towards our discussion of it in the episode, and that we have deck lists. Uh, we always post our deck lists on, um, especially for farming and stuff, with the show notes. And he came back and he was like, thanks for the deck list, but this website's atrocious. And I was like, yeah, I know, bro. Um, you know, we do it for free. We're doing it for fun. Um, we're neither of us are, you know, website designers or anything like that. But um, <laughs> Green Ranger didn't realize, I guess. He didn't know that it was uh, not the best looking website. So uh, he came back at me and was like, wait, is our website ugly? And I'm like, yeah, dude. Um, but. We, uh, another Redditor was kind of, he, he says he does website design, and um, he just gave us a little bit of free advice. He said that uh, to make it a little bit more readable, and we made a couple changes, so hopefully you can check it out and that it's easier to read and you'll like it. It is thedualassessment.wordpress.com. Um, as always, we'll be posting the show notes there. Uh, I'm not sure if there's going to be any pictures this time around, but... Uh, they'll be easy to catch there. All the links is very important um, if you want any of that. Speaking of the Elegant My event, uh, it is now over, and I didn't really get anything from it. I got one, I think, Ice Princess, or whatever she's called, and one of the Sacred Divinity Ritual thing, and like 10 million of the Harpies, so it is what it is. The Duelathon event is ending today and may have already ended by the time that this is posted. But uh, hopefully you played it, because we this time we got a second copy of Swift Gaia, which is, I think, the best, uh, I would argue, definitely the best, but I don't know if there's arguments to the contrary, of the um, Duelathon rewards that we've gotten. So... The Swift guy has fallen a bit out of favor recently because we are in this Red Eyes meta and he's 100 attack less than Red Eyes, so, um, you know, you need to do something to make him compete with those. But not that long ago, he was pretty central to a very powerful, um, you know, handless deck. The one that DK used um, and really revolutionized the game right there in the um, World Champs qualifiers. So... I think that we're just, you know, a meta or two away from having two Swift guys being very relevant, and uh, hopefully you grabbed it. I definitely did, as per usual, the Duelathon was much too easy for the amount of auto-duels I play, I guess. Um, I don't really play as much PvP as you guys just heard, but um, it's pretty easy for me to get in all of my auto-duels all day, so... Anyway, speaking of auto-duels, uh, the 1.5 experience campaign is ending in a couple days, on the 15th, my time. So make sure you do those auto-duels, and all your characters will level up. I think uh, of the 15 or so characters, I think 12 of mine are at level 39 or 40 now. So um, unfortunately that's relevant because that means that I'm running out of gems, but... Um, it's a good time to get those gems and to easily level up, if you haven't done so. Um, new manga. For those fans who are, who like reading the Japanese mangas that come out every once in a while that are somewhat related to Duel Links, um, <clears throat> we'll have a link to this one as well in the show notes. 
from what I can tell in the story, the main character goes to a convention. Uh, he sees something about Vrains, uh, which is the new Yu-Gi-Oh thing. And I don't know if that is being, like, if it says that it's being brought to Duel Links or not, but it is at the convention at least. Uh, he seems to play in a virtual reality Yu-Gi-Oh thing, which is kind of cool. Sees a speaker or maybe performer, and then he competes in a Duel Links tournament. Uh, he appears to make it through the tournament doing pretty well, but then he uh, loses in the end to Yami Merrick. And then he wakes up and sees that he had dreamed the whole thing. So, I don't know what to make of that, if anything, uh, but it, you know, if you find that type of stuff interesting and fun, then you can check out the link in the show notes. Next, the card trader's inventory is being updated, or it already has been partially updated and then will be updated again next month. As of the 8th, he added three new cards. And as of September 10th, he will stop carrying 13. Um, as other cards um, that have been removed, they might later be added back as EX Jewel reward options, but I probably wouldn't bank on that. If you want them, you should get them now. So, the three new cards are Serene Psychic Witch, which is a super rare, um, it allows you to kind of ramp, I, I should have brought up the card, that's something that uh, Green Ranger is really good at doing, but it is a four-star, understated uh, monster, I think maybe 1400 attack or something like that, that says if it is destroyed, you can pick a 2000 attack or less psychic monster from your deck and remove it from the game. And then, the next turn... If the Serene Psychic Witch is um, still in your graveyard, then you can special summon that Psychic that you picked onto your side. So it's really cool. It's like a ramp effect in that it lets you get a 2,000 attacker, which is slightly higher than what you would probably normally be able to get for uh, 4 stars. And um, it also lets you get a free summon on that turn. Like you're paying your summon this turn so that you can have one the next turn which um, is a little bit different than just summoning one and then summoning one the next turn. So um, that's kind of interesting. It's also interesting because it's a tutor effect, uh, which have traditionally been very powerful in card games. Um, they are effects that let you pick something from your deck, and um, that gives you a lot of utility. And, uh, you know, the downside is that psychics are still very niche, and so you probably won't get a ton of mileage off of it because, you know, there's only so many psychics and uh, maybe you didn't open the packs that have some of them and, you know, all of that. But uh, it's a cool card. I've picked up a couple. Um, I had a ton of super rare jewels, so my previous stinginess about using them has gone down the drain a little bit. But um, I, I think it's a card that might become good at some point. Bountiful Artemis is also a super rare. Uh, it's a 4 star 1600 attack with also a bit of a niche effect. It's uh, whenever a counter trap is played you immediately draw a card. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Um, the problem is that 1600 attack 4 star used to be really good but now the card pool has gotten too deep and that's not really cutting it anymore. Um, there's also, like, 
not a ton of counter traps, and this one doesn't, this card doesn't really fit into the decks that run, like, a lot of counter traps. Uh, I even run a Fairy Smile Mausoleum deck, the one that I was using um, to do some PvP stuff earlier, um, and it does run some counter traps, and I still wouldn't put this card in it, so um, I decided, even with all my extra super rare jewels, that I'm not going to be buying that one. Finally, AD Changer is a rare. Um, it's a weak monster. Again, I didn't pull it up, so I don't know the stats, but it says that if, if it's in the graveyard, you may remove it from play to uh, switch a monster's attack or defense position. Um, we have a lot of ways now to get cards into the graveyard, so these types of effects are really cool because they're essentially free. Um, and this effect is a decently powerful effect, um, but the problem is that uh, you can only activate these types of monster effects during your main phase, I'm almost certain. So um, that means you can only do like the switch from attack or defense, and uh, you can't use it to like block an attacker. Um, you obviously can't use it for the, like, stealing effect the enemy controller has, so a lot of people are saying, like, these are free enemy controllers, and that's definitely not true. Uh, it's not a good substitute. But it is a decent card, and it's just a rare, so I definitely picked them up. It's something that I'll be playing with at some point. The cards that are leaving, uh, I'm not going to go through all 13 of them. Uh, essentially, we're losing a bunch of Gemini cards, kind of the first batch of them, I think. Um, none of which are seeing competitive play right now. And we are also losing the legendary Flame Lord and his Ritual Spell, which are also not seeing play. And Pot of Dichotomy, which doesn't see a ton of play, but um, <clears throat> it's a card that I really like, so I don't know. Uh, that's one that I would consider getting uh, if you don't already have them. There's a bunch of other stuff also leaving, but it's not really worth mentioning. Um... Of the, even the Pot of Dichotomy, it's kind of more, it's not like a mainstream card, uh, it's not used a ton, I love it because I'm a brewer, so I like to play with like weird decks, off-meta decks, um, but I think most people can probably let all those cards go without any real concerns. Uh, upcoming events, we have the Paradox Brothers coming next week, um, from the 14th. Uh, so I guess tomorrow on my time, through the 21st. Uh, new rewards are being added for people who don't already have, or who do already have it, and for those who don't, you finally get access to the one of the most powerful legendary duelists. Uh, it's great for farming. It gives you restart, which um, is a good PvP skill. Uh, it also gives you three-star demotion, but that one's kind of, you, you missed your chance on that one if you didn't already have them earlier, because now it's been nerfed. The final topic that I want to cover today is, um, there's been a, a lot of discussion recently about the cost of Duel Links for budget and new players, and uh, even people who've been around and spent money for a while, it's just um, a lot of people were complaining about Electric Overload um, coming out and being as big as it was like right before the, uh, the World Champs and um, just very soon after the other sets had come out. Another problem with it is that 
we are getting fewer gems now than we used to. So we have a lot more packs that we have to buy, both from the fact that there's just a ton of sets, and also the speed with which they're coming out. And, um, and you have to buy a lot of packs because most decks, uh, if the, at the very highest level, use a couple cards from multiple packs. So if you're competing in a format in which you need to bring like a few decks like this new official format and each deck needs a couple cards you know a couple super rares or whatever from each of a few sets then you end up requiring to buy you know uh, every set and several times through sometimes so um, that's a, a lot of cards that you need to buy and now we get less gems than we used to so the more cards and less gems means uh, not that's not good math for us. Uh, we have fewer gems and at a slower rate than we used to for a couple reasons. One of them was that we no longer have like the celebrations when new regions are added. We are also no longer having uh, server issues, which is great. Uh, except that when there were server issues, we got like apology gems, so that was also great. Um, but uh, the result is that. Now we have far fewer gems kind of coming into the game. Um, even the character level up rewards, which added a ton of gems, didn't add it like proportionally. So growing those levels at the end of the character level um, charts are much harder. It requires four times as much experience or something like that. And yet the gems were about the same as they were in the middle of the character's um, growth level up. So. Uh, we have a lot of room to do more level-ups. Um, I'm assuming they can just go up to 100 without it looking ugly, and they can just continue going after that, and no one would really care. But the um, even then, like if they continue to add it at this rate, then we're getting far fewer gems, even though we have a lot of characters, so you can level up each one and get more gems that way. It would just take forever to do so. And it means that the gems later in the character's arcs are worth like a quarter as much as the gems that were earlier in, which were much easier to attain. So, um, we're already going a little bit long. I mean, not long, but I'm already towards the end of my time here. So, I can't get too far into uh, ways to farm and uh, use gems effectively. We've had a request on Twitter to work on that. And I think maybe we'll write something up to talk about it. But um, some tips are to check out the resources. There's an excellent starter guide that someone recently put up on Reddit that we are going to put in the show notes as well. Uh, that one talks about which sets are kind of worth buying. Um, there was previously one done as well by uh, the Duel Links meta people. I think maybe DK just himself did it. Uh, that one's a little bit outdated now because it was during the Harpies meta. And uh, the Reddit one's newer, so check out that one uh, probably first. And um, there was also, we'll also add a letter that another Redditor wrote uh, kind of complaining about the issues in Duel Links right now. And uh, so you kind of have more of an idea about what uh, people are complaining about if you need that for some reason. So, um <clears throat> Definitely take a look at which packs you should be buying. Obviously, I don't think Electric Overload is worth buying right now. 
Um, but I do think the whichever one has nature re in it, I forgot which one that is. I, I think that set is a really good call if you're on a budget because that deck is probably the most uh, cost-efficient competitive deck you can get. And if you were lucky enough to get the Red Eyes cards, then you don't really have to worry too much about budget constraints either because you can run the restart um, or counterbalance versions that don't require all of the um, zombies, all the expensive zombies that the main beatdown zombies version requires. So I've been going for a little bit over an hour now, so that's about all I can handle. <laughs> uh, without Green Ranger here to help me out. So I think I'm going to wrap it up. <clears throat> I'd like to send a quick shout out to Decade, who did a great job getting over to Japan, and who I can tell, you know, he made some comments uh, defending himself, but also just apologizing for people he's let down, and uh, I really feel like he's beating himself up for not making the second day, when we all know that he's a great player who's done a ton for the community. Uh, so... <clears throat> I just want to give him a shout out, let him know that we as the community love and respect him and that we know that he will continue to do well and we'll, maybe he'll get there next time. So uh, not to beat himself up about it. In terms of uh, finding us, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and probably some other podcast catcher places. Uh, you can check out our new and improved website with uh, at thedualassessment.wordpress.com. Uh, we've got a YouTube channel if you prefer to watch uh, there instead of listening through a podcast catcher. Uh, it's linked in the show notes because YouTube links are kind of ugly. Uh, we've got a Patreon if you want to support us. Um, we are working on like new designs, and uh, as I mentioned before, we're currently doing it all ourselves, and um, you know we'd like to bring in some help if we can. So you can support us there at www.patreon.com slash dual underscore assessment um, also if you happen to want us to talk about something in electric overload um, and you want like a donation to specifically go towards that um, you can also let us know there and that would be much appreciated as well you can email us at the dual assessment at gmail.com and uh, kind of the quickest and most active way to reach us is to tweet us at uh, the shared account is at dual underscore assessment. He is at Green Ranger HS and I am at HS Deck Tech. So uh, definitely reach out there. Let us know what you like, what you'd like more of, and we will catch you all next time. <laughs>